Hi, I'm Karina. I'm the Music Ministry Director at Every Nation Auckland City. We are a multicultural, multi-generational, socially responsible church that makes disciples. We hope this message inspires you to honour God and make disciples. Kia ora koutou katoa. My name's Richard and I'm going to bring the Word of God to you today. And if you're a guest here today, we're so glad you're here. And what we've been doing is we've been unpacking through the book of Ephesians. And we're going to continue that today. We are a people who love the Bible. We think it's the manual for living. It's the Word of God, the inerrant, authoritative Word of Almighty God. It's beautiful. Just last night, if you watched the coronation, you would have seen a book, I think maybe the oldest book, I'm not sure, certainly it's the oldest book that the monarchy own. It goes right back to the 6th century, written by Augustine of Hippo. You may have heard of him. He's one of the fathers of the church. Imagine a physical book going back to the 600s or late 500s, in fact. Isn't that amazing? Amazing. Well, for all of our advances in technology and our constant connectivity, we are the most distracted and disconnected people in human history, according to the author A.L. Phillips. And for all of our diversity in the room, culturally, socioeconomically, gender-wise, we're such a diverse people, but actually we possess a common and primal need that leaves our souls restless if that need is not met. And that need is a sense of belonging. It's actually a very human need. The same A.L. Phillips says, Beyond food and shelter, nothing promotes human flourishing like having a people and a place to belong. And research confirms that income levels and marriage and children and perceived security all pale in comparison to belonging to promote human happiness. We long to belong. We're going to continue our archaeology dig, archaeological dig of the book of Ephesians. And I want to call today's talk, Attitude is Everything. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 5. And if you've been watching closely, you would know that we're up to verse 21. Pastor Wee Yong, who, by the way, is over in Chicago graduating with his master's degree, is an amazing guy, and he's totally crazy. He's also signed up for a PhD <laughs> with all his spare time. Like, clearly, Paul, we have to give him more work to do, right? He's sitting around studying all day. I tease, I'm teasing you, of course. He is an incredibly industrious and competent and productive pastor. He's a good, good man. But that's where he is with his dear wife, and he did the the sermon last week. Remember that? Then he jumped on a big bird and flew to New York and got lost up there somewhere. So now it's my turn. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. And it's kind of crazy because the verse starts halfway through a sentence. Hmm. 
I wonder what that means. And we're going to read all the way through to chapter 6 and verse 6. I'll let you stay seated, but I'll stand just in honor of the word. And it reads as follows, verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives also submit to everything to her husband or in everything to her husband. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the word with the washing of the water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies he who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction to the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleases, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. This is the word of the Lord. Most of the text is addressing marriage and, and family, right? Agree? However, surprisingly, I don't want to talk about that today. There's two reasons for it. Number one, most of that text, in fact, all of that text, bar the first verse, was simply giving us three examples of what that controlling principle is. So the wives and husbands, the parents and kids, the servants and master analogy or metaphor or, or teaching that Paul brings are simply practical examples of applying verse 21. But the other reason that I don't want us to examine and explore biblical husbandry and biblical wife and biblical parenting and biblical 
children and all of that stuff is because we're going to go there in August and September. If ever there was a time that we need to teach and lay down once again foundations of God's biblical marriage, it's now. And so we're going to do that later on. So I want to focus in today on something really, really special. The first little verse at the beginning that begins with a word called submitting. Now, one thing that I've personally been doing a lot lately, a lot more, I should say, is, is slowing down. Slowing down to or trying to slow down definitely portions and moments of time of slowing down to look at a flower, to gaze at a starry sky, which is kind of difficult in an artificial, light-saturated city, but looking at the stars. More lately, I've had plenty of opportunities to explore the wonder of my granddaughter's still brand new and beautifully crafted face, especially when she's asleep, looking at all the intricate bits. Today, I want to slow down. I want us to take time, unhurried time, to examine and look at and observe this beautiful verse and it's a verse that's so critical because this verse is a controlling foundational principle for all Christian relationships. This one verse is critical. This one verse, ladies and gentlemen, is in direct conflict with our human nature. This one little verse, how dare Paul, he's this one little verse assaults our Western sensibilities of independence and individuality. Verse 21 says, comma, submitting, interesting, to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, we've been talking a lot about walking in unity, walking in love, walking in light, walking in wisdom last week, and then it has a comma, it's a comma. It's the thing. It's the attitude. It's the, the principle that holds it all together. The glue that makes all of that work, all the stuff that we've just been through. And then it goes on to the three examples of marriage and parenting and employment, actually. Submitting to one another. It doesn't sound very victorious and go get them successful type of Christianity, does it? Like, get out of the way, let me be the man. Let me climb this mountain on my own. Submitting to one another. It's a foundational attitude that God wants to have residing deep in the heart of the Christian to govern his whole or her whole life. This text does not ask some Christians to submit to other Christians. It asks all Christians to submit to each other. There's no privileged group in this room. The word there is 
Hupatasso, which means to subordinate, to be under obedience, to place rank under. It's a military term. It's the idea of a soldier in a regiment. And in a sense, a soldier in a regiment loses some of their individuality, right? Sure, they're a person. They have a name. They have a height. They have different colored eyes. They have preferences of food. And whether it's chopsticks, knife and fork, or knife and spoon and fork, or bare hands, when they eat or shoes, they have individual. When they become part of a regiment, some of that is lost because they have to respond to the command of the officer. They can't take annual leave whenever they like to. They will leave rank when they're told to. This is what's coming through. You see, we are individuals, but the problem is we become individualistic. And Paul says that individualism in the church is a dangerous virus. Now, Paul's repeatedly putting pictures out to us throughout his epistles, hoping, hoping and praying, no doubt, that we would get it, that we wouldn't push back in our very enlightened age. He hopes that we will understand that we are individuals, but we function together. He uses the analogy of the picture of a soldier. He's just used a word pointing to that. In a regiment, just prior to that, he talked about a choir. We've got different voices, but coming, you know, psalms and hymns as to one another, work singing together. He's talked earlier on about a human body of different parts functioning together. Do you get the picture right now? He talks about a temple right back in chapter two or three where Jesus is a cornerstone and the apostles and prophets are the, then we're being fitted together. There's individuality, but not individualism. And now he's just gonna talk about marriage. <laughs> two becoming one means you've gotta to die to self. I mean, it's another picture, parenting. It's another picture. Children are individuals, but they belong. They are being instructed. Employment, bond servants. See, Paul's throwing everything at us, including the kitchen sink, hoping that we might get rid of this individualism where it's all about the unholy trinity. Self, self, self. These metaphors are for us, they're of us. Where each is known and loved and respected, but each is deferring to one another. And when people understand this, when the church understand the truth of deferring, preferring, respecting, putting the other first, when everyone does that, guess what? Nobody misses out. The poor, the rich, the different tones of skin, preferences of musical genres, whatever it might be, we all feel valued and loved and appreciated. Hupatasso. To automatically have a heart that defers. It demands a humility that's not of this world. It is, as you can see, in direct opposition to a world that says, promote yourself, express yourself, American express yourself, as Pastor Ken used to say. Now, mutual submission does not mean that people always agree. 
Just come and stay in my home for an hour and you'll find out we have different opinions. But we are bonded together, not just by name, but by spirit and blood and marriage. But within the safety of that, there is respect and love and there's different opinions that are shared in a healthy manner usually. Mutual submission does not mean oh, just common social courtesies like opening the door for another person or religious piety. All those things can just be fake. And mutual submission does not automatically happen from attending a service or getting a church membership certificate. Ladies and gentlemen, mutual submission is much deeper than that. Much deeper. Mutual submission is nothing more than a decision about the worth of other people. Mutual submission is possessing in your heart humility and a genuine awareness of the value of the other person. And begin to realize that they're made in the image of God. How we interact and our attitudes behind that is so, so important. Maybe Jesus was thinking about mutual submission. You know, when Jesus was up in that room in the evening after supper, and the, the atmosphere is solemn as he's now thinking about his coming death in just a matter of hours, the mood is somber, and he begins to pray just prior to his betrayal, and he prays in his priestly prayer that they may be one as we are one. While Paul is penning his epistle to the church in Ephesus while being held captive under the watchful eye of Roman soldiers, maybe Paul was recalling those beautiful words in the other epistle to Corinth, which says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. And it keeps no records of wrong, says Paul. Oh, that we would get rid of our records of wrong. Starting with me. Love. Love is a fuel, the energy, the electricity of mutual submission. As I said before, submission, whoo, the S word, submission, submission of any kind is a direct assault to the natural man. It, it, it confronts our common foe. I don't care if you're Asian, African, European, Pacific Island, wherever you come from, we have a common foe. And it all was spewed out in the Garden of Eden, the great cosmic assertion at Eden that it's all about self. You can become God. God himself. And that virus of self-exaltation was released in Genesis 3 and infected every person since it is splashed over every page of the Bible right through modern history and to our very day-to-day -day, where it's all about self. In fact, 
many of our problems just this morning or this week, if we do a diagnosis and a post-mortem, would come back to self-assertion. Am I telling the truth? And that creeps into the body of Christ, into local churches. Self, self, self. It's simply the cause of most of our problems. Honestly, I battle this big time. Self and me creates too much impatience. At times I can get really, my initial reaction, honestly, is defensiveness. I've learned enough over the years of social skills to hide that, but really inside, I want to defend. Not all the time, but sometimes. At times, to be honest, I feel really entitled to break. <laughs> it's been a long day. Can things just not go, you know, how I want them to go? Does anybody else feel that? Can someone else just put their hand up so I feel better? Impatience. Get a bit irritable. I'm not even sure why. At times, I'm just going to confess it. At times, I can be a little judgmental. I see someone acting in a certain way just throughout, and I will very easily arrive and have to back up and go, don't, you don't know the story. You don't know, Richard. I mean, I rebuke myself. Has anybody else had to do that? Like, you don't know the full story. Love believes the best. Until you know otherwise, Richard, believe the best. Self. It's like a demon I know and love. It's really just the poisonous fruit of pride. Seems impossible to change, doesn't it? Which is why <laughs> Paul wrote those final words out of reverence for Christ. But before we do that, I want you to understand something. Don't we admire selflessness? Don't we love to watch movies about greatness? Mother Teresa, Martin Luther, Martin Luther King Jr. I mean, we watch these stories and they inspire us, don't they? There are sporting people, and if I throw out Manny Pacquiao now, I know I've got most of your attention. But sporting people, people in the military, people in business and the arts who serve and they give selflessly. I think even superhero movies appeal to something, they resonate within us of something that is good and noble, rescuing the dame, damsel in distress. Maybe the girl who can paddle her walker across the ocean. You know, there's these stories there that grab our attention. They go deep within our hearts and they give it a little squeeze, the good part of our hearts, that sense of nobility and greatness. One of my favorite is this guy. This guy was a combat, combat medic in the World War II. His name is Desmond Doss, made famous in that movie Hacksaw Ridge, one of my all-time favorites. We all admire selflessness. 
I'm moved when I hear a story occasionally of a person who's an ordinary nobody, but they're looking after their disability child for all their life. Just selflessness. We're moved by it. We're inspired by it. It lifts us up to a point of greatness. And it stirs us. And we admire selflessness, ladies and gentlemen. Can we now live selflessly in our spiritual family? Let's not only admire it, let's do it. Not just watch a movie about it, but live it. Really. Because God knows and God sees the attitude in the heart of deferring and preferring, getting beyond our cultural pride, getting beyond our sensibilities and putting the other first. First. Just like Jesus. Desmond Doss, Mother Teresa, God bless her soul and many thousands of others, they don't even compare to our precious Lord and Saviour. The one who said, those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The same man who the night before he died stooped down and got on his knees and washed feet. This was the act reserved only for the lowest of the low not even your common domestic servant would do this. It would be nothing other than a slave. And our Lord and Savior, the second person of the triune Godhead, took the posture of heart and washed their feet. But that, even that, doesn't compare to what was to come. The ultimate example for us all, for all of our church relationships, Without relinquishing any of his authority, Jesus submits himself. He employs mutual submission to the will of the Father, even to the point of death. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this takes us straight to the cross, doesn't it? And I love it because the cross it levels all mankind. The cro- I see my sin on the cross. And every other person's sin is on the cross. And we stop comparing ourselves to each other as we are overwhelmed with our own grief of what we have done and who we've become. And as we look at the cross and we see all of us are broken and flawed and this horrible, wretched thing called self-righteousness elevates and the cross kills it. The cross says no man is righteous. No, not even one. And the cross allows us to view each other with gentleness and respect and gratitude for our common saviour. The cross is not only do we see our sin, but also his grace. You see, Jesus knows everything about us. And he still went to the cross. Thus, he fulfills our deepest need of being known and loved. It's easy to be loved when you don't know everything about a person, when you know everything, and then still to love them. 
It sounds a lot like marriage. Out of the deep, profound realization and truth of the cross, we're supposed to submit to each other and see the worth and the value in the other person. Not one person in this room is more or less valuable than another. Jesus went to the cross for them, friend. How dare we be filled with pride and comparison and competition? How dare we think we're entitled to anything other than a relationship with God? Even that we're not entitled to. But he gives it to us. When we understand this, as I wrap this thing up, we go beyond the superficial church relationship to genuine love, which produces an attitude that prefers and defers others and puts them first. Let's close our eyes. Thank you. Let's close our eyes. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you don't have an active relationship with Jesus, I want you to know something today. That he knows you. He knows everything about you. Your hopes, your dreams, your aspirations, your failings, the trauma, the pain, the brokenness, and a thousand other things. He knows it all. And he still went to the cross. Why did he do that? Because he loves you. It's love. If you want to know this Jesus that I speak of, I'm going to ask you to put your hand up after the count of three just so I can acknowledge you eyeball to eyeball and we can talk afterwards. I would love the privilege of talking with you, maybe praying with you. If you want to know more about this Jesus that I speak of, if you feel strangely drawn to him, and you realize, if you're honest, that what you've been doing and living is not working. And you want to talk more. I would love that opportunity, but I just need to know who to connect with. So after the count of three, I'm going to ask you to put your hand up in the air, nice and high, while it's a private moment, right here, right now, to put your hand up. Say, Pastor, I'd love to talk more about Jesus. One, two, three. Anybody? If there's anybody here, okay, nobody. Just while eyes are closed, if you're hearing me and you've listened to this message and you would like to live more selflessly, I want to pray for you. If you've heard this message and the Holy Spirit is pressing on you and you know in your heart that you want to live more selflessly. You want to be a less selfish person, less self-centered person. You want to become a person to live like Jesus selflessly. If that's you, well, eyes are closed. Can I ask you to put your hand up, please? Father, you see all these beautiful hands. And you see the faith in their heart and the intent and the desire 
of their heart. And Lord, I do pray that your power, your spirit would be with them, that they would be consciously aware of that. And in those moments where self wants to elevate and self wants to be exalted, that you'd, Lord, just give us a clarity of mind and the strength of will to deny it and to take the path of selflessness. We pray this now in your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us. To know more about Every Nation Auckland City, you can visit our website, www.everynationauckland.city. For more messages like this, you can subscribe to this podcast through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts.